What's our purpose? For the last several weeks, we've been talking about one of our purpose was not in what we do for God, but what God has already done for us. And that's exactly what Paul has done so far in our study of Ephesians. What has God done? He's chosen us for adoption into his family. He's lavished grace upon us, redeeming us and forgiving us of our sins through the blood of Christ. He's brought us to life from death. He raised us to life, seated us with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. And he marked us and he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, but wait, there's more. There's peace. It's the greatest desire of mankind to live in peace. For thousands of years, mankind has been desiring peace. We sing songs about it. We watch movies about it. We write books about it. We even have advertising slogans about it. Remember that Coke ad, I want to teach the world to sing? Peace is just what we're always striving for. And what is going to happen this morning, Paul's going to tell us how to get it. Let's pick up our reading in the second chapter of Ephesians, starting in verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Paul's starting with his focus on the Gentile believers. He's saying, don't forget, you used to be outsiders called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Heathens is actually a bit of an understatement in describing that relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And if a Jew married a Gentile, a funeral was held for that that Jewish man. It was a death sentence to marry a Gentile. And as a Jew, if a Gentile visited your home, it was believed to bring a curse on your home. Jewish midwives weren't allowed to help Gentile women deliver babies because that would have brought another Gentile heathen into the world. So they were forbidden to deliver Gentile babies. But the feelings were mutual from the Gentiles towards the Jews. The Gentiles saw the Jews as the enemies of the human race. And so Paul's bringing this all back to the Gentiles, and he says... Don't you remember how far away from God you were? You were living apart from Christ. You had no promise of a Messiah to come. You were excluded from citizenship. The nation of Israel, the Jews were marked by circumcision. The Gentiles didn't have that, so they were on the outside. They were foreigners to the covenant promises of God. They had no knowledge of these promises that were given to the Jews. They had no knowledge of the promises that God had given them. 
without God, if you weren't a Jew, you believed in many different gods. You believed in all kinds of different things. Whatever made you feel good, whatever made you happy, that's what you believed in. They were without hope. The Jews were always headed somewhere. The promised land, they were headed to heaven. The Gentiles, they weren't headed anywhere. They were Christless. They were stateless, without a home, country. They were friendless. They were godless. They were hopeless. In one word, they were alienated from God and from themselves, from everyone. It was the Gentile dilemma. It's the human dilemma. An alienation from God produces an alienation from other people. Because when we alienate ourselves from God, we open ourselves up to a level of hatred, a wall of hostility that really existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. We're drawn to division. We want to be set apart. We find reasons to polarize ourselves and push a wedge between us and them. There was a bishop who was doing ministry work in the outback in Australia many years ago. And he was driving a school bus. And he had uh, white children and he had aborigine children on his bus. And one day he just got fed up with all of the arguing and the fighting that was taking place on that bus. And so he asked one of the white boys to come up and he said, what color are you? And the little boy said, well, I'm white. He said, no, you're not. You're green. Anyone that rides my school bus is now green. He said, so what color are you? And the little boy said, I'm green. He said, okay. And then he asked one of the Aborigine boys to come up. He said, what color are you? He said, I'm black. He said, no, you're not. You're green. Anyone that rides my school bus is green. And so he asked the Aborigine boy, he said, what color are you? He said, I'm green. He said, okay. So Bishop was driving along, it was so quiet, everybody was getting along. And then a little voice from the back of the bus said, Okay, light green on this side of the bus, dark green on that side of the bus. And the fighting continued. Because that's what we do. The reason we can't find peace, the reason we can't find peace in our communities, in our country, in our world, it's because we keep taking God and Jesus out of it. Because Jesus is our peace. Paul continues in our reading today in verse 14. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. 
Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. For Christ himself has brought us peace. He destroyed the barrier between us and God the Father. He destroyed the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. See, there was, there was a wall in the temple that forbidden the Gentiles from worshiping God with the Jews. On this wall was inscribed a, a sign. This is what it said. No foreigner may enter within the barricade surrounding the sanctuary and the enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That is the wall of hostility that Paul's talking about. It was a physical wall within that temple where the Gentiles were not allowed in. And Paul says that Jesus tore down that wall with his death. Jews and Gentiles have access to God. They have spiritual unity. The ultimate answer to alienation from God and from one another is not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of politics. It's not a matter of social reform. It's a spiritual issue. And Jesus is the only answer. The answer to disunity comes when we cross over that broken barrier. When we go near God, he draws us near one another as well. Remember God's promise to Abraham. His plan for the world was that all nations would be blessed through him. All nations, not just Israel nation. So with Jesus' death, he reconciles us to God. But he also reconciles us to one another. Because Jesus came to create in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He didn't come to Christianize the Jews or to Judaize the Gentiles. He came to create a whole new man, a whole new humanity, a whole new race. The bus driver from our earlier story, he understood that what he needed to do was create a new race, the Greens. But he wasn't able to pull it off. But Jesus did. We're God's masterpieces. We're a new race in Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus put to death the hostility of the Jews and the Gentiles for all mankind, for all eternity. Jesus' ministry, it was all about peace. It was all about reconciliation. Before his birth, the prophet Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. Isaiah prophesied that peace would be preached far and near. In the announcement of his birth, the angels declared glory to God in highest heaven, peace on earth to those whom God is pleased on the eve of his death, Jesus said these words to the apostles, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And then after his resurrection, when he appears to the disciples, he walks through a closed door. 
And he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And twice in our text this morning, Paul mentions Jesus as our peace. And that Jesus came to preach peace to those near and far. See, with Jesus' death on the cross, he fulfilled the moral law, abolishing that law with its commandments and requirements. And it was that law that allowed the Jews to draw near to God and also set them apart from everybody else. The Gentiles had no way of drawing close to God. They were far off until Jesus abolished the law, opening up access to God for all people of all time. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says it this way. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Pay attention. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus reconciled humanity's alienation from God. He reconciled our alienation between Jews and Gentiles, creating in himself one humanity in place of two. He's the Prince of Peace in whom all things, all people are united. And Paul continues his conversation. He continues to talk about what this new humanity means for the Gentiles. In verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The Gentiles, who are all of us, are no longer Christless. We're no longer stateless, friendless, godless, or hopeless. Instead, through Christ, we are citizens of God's kingdom. We're members of God's family. We have a Father in heaven. We're now brothers and sisters. No matter what our background no matter what our past, we are brought into a new relationship of caring and support with one another in this family of God. We once lived in alienation from God and from the rest of the world, from the rest of humanity. But now, now we belong. We belong to one another. This is what Mary shared earlier in, in our sharing time about a family of God coming together to help one another. That's what it means to be in the family of God. We call God Abba, Father, together. We're all his children, brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something unique about families. There's something special about families. Family is a, is a place to be safe. It's a place where you can be you without fear of judgment, without fear of rejection. 
Family is the place where you're always welcomed, where you're always accepted for who you are. Family is the place where people who support you help you grow. They help you grow to become the best you that you can be. And in the family of God, the best you you can be means that you're becoming more like Christ. Paul continues in verse 20. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling, where God lives by his spirit. We are becoming the temple of God. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation because they were the witnesses to Christ, his death and his resurrection. And it's their written account, the scriptures, that is the foundation upon which we build. But as, as, as important as that foundation is, the cornerstone is of even greater importance. The cornerstone sets the direction of the construction. It defines and it determines the architectural unity and the symmetry of the building. Everything in a building is determined by the cornerstone. The cornerstone of God's church is Jesus Christ. The shape and stability of the church are set by Jesus. All the other stones in the building are set and tested against the cornerstone. How awesome to know that our lives, our reconciliation, our peace, all of those things are built upon the solid, infinite rock of Jesus Christ. I'm glad it's not on me. I'm glad it's not on you, but it's on him. So what does this all mean? What does it mean for us today? Christianity is supposed to be a microcosm of the world to come. It's supposed to be just that little glimpse of heaven on earth. The church is evidence of the grace of God. It's the seeds of a remade world. In the church, we come to God individually in a vertical relationship, one-on-one -on -one with God. But that's so that we can live in peace corporately in a horizontal relationship with one another. The church is in the bridge building business. We're to be an example of peace and harmony in the world. The peace and the reconciliation that Paul was talking about is the peace of God's church. It's the peace between Jew and Gentile. It's the peace between the world's races and ethnic groups. It's the peace between rich and poor, the advantaged and the disadvantaged. And it can only occur in Christ. And this means that the church has a tremendous responsibility to show the world what peace looks like. We need to remember where we were before God intervened and know who we are now because of Jesus. In Paul's writing to Titus, chapter 3, verse 1, 
Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When we focus on our Father, one God, one Spirit, the things that divide us are going to fade into insignificance. When we see ourselves as God's sons and daughters, when we see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, peace just naturally flows. Paul says in verse 21 that we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We are carefully joined together. That means it's not an accident and it's not a coincidence that you are here at Sawgrass. God has you here for a purpose, a purpose that he planned before the creation of the world. There's something that needs to be done that he has set apart for you to do. Not only do we belong to this family, but we have value. We have purpose. And it's not a coincidence that we're studying Paul's message of unity and peace among believers in the church while we've just started meeting here at the First Church of God with another church body. God has placed a tremendous opportunity before us to be an example of peace and harmony to the community out there. There are two different churches focusing on their commonality in Jesus as Savior and their commonality of God the Father coming together in one spirit to glorify We come to fellowship together. We're hosting a fall fest together. We're feeding the people in the community together by stocking the food pantry. Who knows what else God's going to have us do together? Because we're fellow citizens with God's people. We share a common language of the heart. We have common goals in pleasing God. In glorifying him in all that we do. And we share a common destination. We're all headed to heaven. Because Jesus came to tear down and destroy the barriers that separate and alienate. He came to make us into one new united people as his children. We are his church. We are his body. He is our unity. He is our joy. He's our peace. And as we experience Christ together, we are one. We have the same unity, the same peace. We have joy and purpose because we have the same spirit indwelling and 
every one of us. And it's from that spirit that everything else flows, allowing us to be a community of believers that is more focused on the things that unite us than we are distracted by the things that divide us. And then we can be a shining light to the community of God's peace and unity in Christ Jesus. I'll share one more story with you. There's a Sunday school teacher, and she was near the end of her lesson, getting near the end of her lesson. And a little boy had come in very late, a new boy. She hadn't met him before. And she noticed as he walked in, he was missing an arm. He was missing his left arm. And with all the hustle and bustle going on in the Sunday school class, she was She's very nervous. She's very nervous that one of the kids would come up and say something and embarrass him. And, and she wasn't having a chance to get to him because she was being pulled in so many different directions. And as she was finishing up her lesson, she started to relax a little bit. Said, okay, things are, things are going okay. And then she finished up the way she always finished up. And she said, okay, boys and girls, let's make our churches. And she said... Here's the church, here's the steeple, and then she stopped, and she was horrified, because she just realized that she did the very thing that she was afraid her students were going to do, and she looked back at that little boy who was missing his left arm, and the little girl that was sitting next to him, she took her left arm, and she put it up against his right arm, and she said, come on, Johnny, let's make a church together. God puts us together with different strengths and weaknesses for his purpose, for his use. He has a purpose in every one of us being here at Sawgrass. And he has a purpose for bringing Sawgrass Community Church to worship here at First Church of God. Jesus has broken down every wall of hostility. He's united us in himself in one spirit. We are not this church. We're not that church. We are one body, the body of Christ, the sons and daughters of the King. We're brothers and sisters, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We've been carefully placed here to do the work that he planned for us long ago, and that is to glorify him and to show the world what peace and unity look like through Jesus Christ. Holy, Holy Father, I'm just in awe of your word. How it just brings us to our knees sometimes. And, and Lord, we are one body. We are brothers and sisters. We are your children. As we leave this place today, Father, may we hold tight to that may we show the world out there what it looks like to have peace to be united to be respectful of one another to love one another may we leave this place with our light shining for you whatever comes our way Father 
May our lips glorify Jesus. May our actions shine back to you. I bless everyone in this room. Father, I ask for blessing upon them in your name. That they know how much they are loved by you. That they know how much they are valued by you. And that you have a purpose for them. Father, in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.